And when the big brass band starts, you know that it's time for Radio Brews News. And once again, I would like to welcome my co-host and executive producer, Pete Mitchum. How are you, Pete? Yeah, very well, thank you, Matt. G'day to everybody. How are we all? And uh, the Australian, the Australia's best beer conversation still continues. Uh, this one, this show is being recorded on the 19th of July, 2011. Um, had a bit of a hiccup over the last few weeks, uh, listeners. And Pete, I'm very, I let Pete down uh, terribly. I've, uh, we've had a couple of episodes in the can that I just haven't had a chance to uh, edit down uh, for a variety of reasons, including sickness. So, uh, yeah, Pete, speak, I'm very yeah. sorry, but listeners are going to be speaking of a couple of episodes in the can. You, you haven't been well, Matt. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, it's not been that kind of illness. It's been this uh, flu that's been going around. Uh, I'm sure I picked it up in Victoria on a recent trip, but uh, I'm all over it now. But not not uh, not dobbing anyone in. But uh, perhaps the question may have been asked: Was it the flu or was it man flu? Uh, look, it, it was it was the flu, um, but it always seems to hit men a little bit harder. It does. Yeah, that, that's true. We we tend to hold it off for longer, and then we work harder to get rid of it. Exactly, and we, we crash harder as well. So, um, yeah, but I, I'm, I am very sorry to, to you, Pete, and also to our listeners, because we've uh, got a couple of excellent shows, including the long-promised Brendan Varis uh, show that we'll... Uh, we, we might actually do a bonus episode midweek, um, seeing that we'll run this one. It's being recorded on the 19th of July, and uh, we will run it on Friday the... Uh, what will this Friday be now, Pete? It will be the twenty seventh. Yeah, right. Um, so on Monday, uh, the twenty fifth, we'll, we might run the Brenton Virus uh, interview um, as a special treat because you've been working very hard, Pete, uh, setting up some other interviews for the next couple of weeks. I certainly have, Matt. We've um, look not to suggest that Radio Brews News has all of a sudden become the the go to uh, mouthpiece for all things beer in Australia. Uh, but it's fair to say that we are now the go-to mouthpiece for all things beer worldwide. Uh, stretch, stretching our wings without any stretching of the truth. Uh, we've got a couple of um, yeah, very interesting guests, including today's very special guest. But coming up in uh, future episodes, uh, linking in with the Beer Wars movie that Ben Krause and yourself and myself will be presenting in... Oh, can I say that? Although I... Do need well. I, I do need to. I guess we need to explain that because that was in the show that we haven't yet run. Um, that the local tap house is hosting Beer Wars, the documentary uh, created by Annette Barron, um, Sydney and Melbourne uh, in September. Um, ben Krause has organised for it to be shown here. Pete and I will be going on on the road to host it and host a brewer discussion. So you can find out about that on uh, Brews News. And also, if you listen for our show Monday. You'll be able to hear uh, Ben Krause talking a little bit about it. So there's a teaser. Yeah, that, um, and that's why I thought we teaser... talked about it. I, I just had this deja vu feeling yeah. that we talked about it, and that's because we had. Well, we've talked about it, but no one's actually heard about it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> heard us talk about it. So that that, that, that will come up soon. But uh, yes, now we've got Annette uh, Barron um, coming up. Um, who else you got for us, Pete? Uh, we've also got, look, without uh, you know, it's dropping too many names, but um, James Watt from BrewDog. Is, uh, is teed up to come and have a, a bit of a chat with us, talking about his uh, recollections of his time in Australia um, and his perceptions of the, the beer scene over here. We might talk to him a little bit about his um, Equity for Punks uh, share release volume two, which has just come out and is proving to be pretty successful. And also, you know, I'm sure that um, we, can, we can tap his brain for a couple of comments and uh, uh, bits and pieces on, on beer in general. He's, he's very rarely short of a, uh, uh, a controversial word. 
And we've also got uh, the Beer Diva lined up to speak to at some stage about the upcoming Women uh, of Beer um, brewing session. Um, hopefully we'll get her on before the session, although that's coming up very quickly. That's, so we that's might this have to Saturday the 23rd, brief. so yeah, we might... So uh, look, we, 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 we've got all the big names, and actually, we're also um, we also seem to be the, the conversation is continuing because uh, our discussion a couple of weeks ago about uh, contract brewing uh, it sparked such a discussion over the ditch in New Zealand that Radio New Zealand actually uh, picked up the story and ran an episode uh, that I've linked to from Brews News. Um, so yeah, we we do seem to be having a um, uh, a, a bit of an influence and also since our discussion about tap contracts uh, the discussion hasn't been quite as uh, eager as I thought um, I, I, I note that Murray uh, from Murray's Brewing has been posting on his blog about it and he phoned me to find out where he, he'd heard that we'd done a story about it he wanted to uh, find out where he could download it uh, and he hasn't so far taken up my uh, offer to come on the show, but hopefully he will. But also, apparently, another competing beer magazine, which I shall not mention, uh, is doing a story <coughs> on tap contracts uh, in an up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we're certainly leading the agenda and others are following. So that's nice to know. And, and just uh, totally unrelated, but a, a nice sneaky segue. It, it also shows, I think, the value of uh, being able to follow up what we're doing on Radio Brews News with, um, you know, a sort of an up to the minute and it's a here and now, um, tell us what you think and, and you can say it straight away and we can respond immediately kind of format with linking it with the, the online magazine. I think it's, it, it, we, we shouldn't underestimate the value of being able to talk about something that's either come from the magazine or being able to talk about something and then following it up through the magazine. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I think uh, you know it's great. It's uh, people are wanting to get involved, and uh, so listeners, please, uh, if if there's someone that you'd like us to interview, uh, or you, there's a topic you'd like to see us cover, um, please shoot us through an email, um, editor at brewsnews.com.au, uh, or Pete, your email is pete mitchum pete dot mitchum at brewsnews.com.au. That sounds right. You've, I'm, that sounds right. Um, I don't know. Otherwise, editor. At yeah, editor of Brews News is probably easier. I don't know if there's a dot in my P with Mitchum. I'm not, oh, we'll, we'll see how we go. We'll, we'll, we'll have to check yeah, that it'll, one. It'll find um, its way to me somehow. So, uh, yeah, and so, Pete, what's news with you? Uh, you you've got you, you've been to Cairns since we last aired, uh, aired a show. Um, did you, did you uh, visit the Blue Sky Brewery up there? Uh, only a few times. Um, on the way there, during the middle, just before we went home, uh, and then at the airport as well, <laughs> as we were flying out. <laughs> well, we, we get on the plane, we're just about ready to take off, and the pilot comes on and says, look, we've just discovered there's some damage to a tyre, so it's going to take about an hour. So I thought, oh, that's all right, there's another couple of lagers. Um, so that, that, worked <laughs> quite, that worked quite well. And look, as I pointed out to some of the uh, grumbling passengers on the plane, I said, wouldn't you rather hear about that now than we're about to land and we've got a dodgy tyre? So um, <laughs> I, was, I was more than happy to, you know, to sit down and have, a, have, a, have an, an extra couple of beers. But uh, no, look. Um, and if there's an, go on. yeah, I was just going to say, if there's an airport that you need to be stuck in, Cairns Airport is probably the one. Um, the only uh, Adelaide's got Cooper's Brewhouse, obviously, but uh, um, whether Cooper's these days count as craft beer, but uh, Cairns has got a craft beer uh, outlet um, with Blue Sky's very own uh, airport outlet. Yeah, yeah, and um, exactly the same beers. Um, and, and look, a, a terrific concept, and hopefully, it's something that. Uh, that can take off <laughs> um, in other airports as well. 
Yeah. I'll leave yeah. that. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll answer the cricket, cricket yeah. chirp. Uh, <laughs> Waits for reaction, gets none, moves on. Now, um, must say, if you read um, James Davidson's article on Blue Sky Brewing at, in uh, Australian Brews News, which I think was his first. I'll, I'll link to that piece. from the yeah, show notes, yeah. which, was, uh, which gives you a terrific. Um, a feel for for what it's like in terms of that they sit right within the, uh, the the feel within the climate within the um, the transitory sort of community that that Cairns uh, often is in terms of you know being a, a tourist destination and, and being so far north. Um, but it's interesting that they're not sitting there and going, okay, well look, it's it's hot as stink up here. Let's just make you know easy drinking, uh, mildly fizzy yellow lagers. Um, while I was up there, I um, had a bit of their uh, wheat beer, which is an absolute cracker. Uh, especially when you're drinking it. Was that the smoked, the smoked? Ah, uh, no, no. That they do? No, no. This, this was the, um, the, 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 you know, the, the standard. The blue sky. Yeah, which was absolutely yep. beautiful. And especially, you know, you're drinking it with the brewer straight out of the bright beer tank. It sort of, it just has that, uh, that extra little um, pizzazz to it. Uh, but also, no, there, there, there's a nice little link, uh, just very quickly, nice little link to your article in Beer Lovers Guide to Australia about uh, drinking beer at its source yeah. and that beer is worth traveling That's for. it. Well, I was I was duly rewarded, not only um, in the, the respect of the wheat beer, but also uh, they Blue Sky Brewing was a sponsor of a, a local, uh, like a homebrew sort of competition at a um, uh, at a market kind of uh, or you know uh, show, and the winner got to brew up. A batch of their beer at Blue Sky. At Blue Sky, so I got to taste that as well, which was a gold nail, which is an absolute cracker and drinking beautifully. Unfortunately, it was um, it finally made it into kegs uh, as we were as we were leaving, so I didn't get to to try it from there. But again, out of the bright beer tank, it was absolutely magnificent. And also, uh, which I guess illustrates my point that they're not just sitting there saying this is the kind of brewery are. Let's let's not sort of test any boundaries. Um, they, uh, one of the uh, the junior brewers, uh, who shall remain unnamed, uh, went to make a batch of the uh, a rather large batch of their best-selling Blue Sky Pilsner, uh, but used wheat malt instead of the barley malt. Uh, and they thought, well, trap for young players. Yeah, that one. exactly. Oh. and uh, at the same time, serendipitously, uh, somebody had also mixed up a batch of the cider that hadn't quite fully attenuated, was a little bit uh, sort of sticky, bit syrupy. Well, what do we do? Let's put these two together, and we come up with uh, blue sky white, which is a, a, a added some spices and whatever, and and came up with a, uh, a Hucharden style uh, white beer, which was an absolute cracker. Drank absolutely beautifully. You wouldn't know that it was basically stuffed up cider and some stuffed up pilsner. Uh, it, it just it, if you just drank it and was told, yeah, here's a Belgian white take on a on a that style. Yeah, it was beautiful. Now. They didn't try and trademark the name, did they? Oh, interesting. Why, why do you say that, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> well, the other big story uh, coming out of last week was uh, the IPON's decision. That's the Intellectual Property uh, Organisation of New Zealand, I think it's called. A decision that uh, upholding DB's trademarking of the term Radler in New Zealand, um, which caused a furor. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but Radler, isn't that the German word for cyclist? They have managed to trademark the German word for cyclist. Um, now, there's a fairly comprehensive coverage. Uh, I've been looking at this issue since back in uh, 2009, um, when it first uh, reared its ugly head, um, when Green Man was 
sent nasty lawyer letters um, when they brewed when they uh, made a Rattler. Mm. Um, it's because there's some debate as to whether it's a style because a Rattler is essentially a shandy, um, which is a mix of lager and lemonade. Um, that in Germany is is very popular, um, uh, and it's uh, a beer of around about two and a half percent because it's a shandy. It's watered down. In 2001, Monteith's created a it, it basically you know a, a full strength beer that they've thrown a little bit of lemon cordial into. Yeah. Um, so it's five percent. Um, they sold it for a couple of years. In 2003, they trademarked it, um, and then in uh, 2009, this had gone unnoticed. Um, and in 2009, I believe they uh, stopped Green Man from selling their own Rattler. Now, you know, it, 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 it's one of those things. Uh, Monteith uh, says that they invested in the um, Rattler brand. Um, they were entitled to protect it. Um, it, it. However, it got through, it slipped through to the keeper. Um, and, you know, you've got the ridiculous situation where in New Zealand, uh, you can't even import a genuine German brewed Rattler and sell it under its name. Um, now, business is business, and I appreciate that, but I really don't think you can be trademarking uh, style names, particularly one that all you've done is copy and bastardize, um, and you know, use the copy the, the trademarking laws as a sword, not a shield. Um, you know, Monteith's argument is that they have. Uh, invested in the brand yet if you look at their website all that they say about it is talking about you know fritz kugler um, who invented the style they talk about all of the uh history of it none of which they had any investment in or that they did they've stolen that idea and they've trademarked it so whatever investment that they've put in is nothing compared to the riches that they've reaped from using the german name and they're preventing german brewers from distributing the beer in there um, as you can tell, it's got me uh, a little bit fired up about it. Um, and yeah, after the to, to all our uh, to all our New Zealand brews over there, uh, I, I suggest that one of you goes down to uh, the trademark office now and and uh, registers the German word for beer, and then charge anyone else who dares to use your word. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but it, look, that, that's the thing. I mean, I'll stop short of calling for a boycott after the uh, kerfuffle that the uh, grey market one did, but. I'll, I'll just repeat what I said in an article I wrote on Brews News. You know, every time you choose, and this this is true of everything um, that, that you do. If every time you make a purchasing decision, you are making a small decision about the future of beer that you want. Um, if you think it's appropriate that a brewery like DB um, is able to trademark a style name that they've not created and they've you know it is not theirs, um, then you know. If you if you don't think that's right, then you know consider that when you uh, buy your next beer um, and let that influence your purchasing decisions. But anyway, I'll step off my high horse on that, that one. Very cool. Um, and uh, anything else happening in in your neck of the woods? Oh, there's a little bit happening. There's um, moves already to uh, James Smith over at the Crafty Pint is uh, head down bum up organising some stuff for next year's uh, Melbourne Food and Wine Festival, uh, as well as busily being um, around all matters to do with uh, Good Beer Week uh, next year as well. So it's onwards and upwards. Good to see. Well, Brisbane, uh, which can unfairly be described as having a beer desert rather than a beer scene, is there, 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 there are shoots starting to um, 
shoot's starting to grow, um, or you know, shoot's starting to, to, to bloom anyway. Uh, the Storybridge Hotel, which is one of the big hotels, and has tended of late to be a bit of a beer barn, um, you know, 100, 100 taps of lager sort of thing. Um, but once upon a time, it was about the only place in Brisbane you could pick up uh, Coopers. Um, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, it was a, you know, a bit of a haven for those who wanted something uh, other than just lager. Um, for a long time, they had the uh, Festival of Beers. It was a bit of an icon around the, mm. around the place, even though they've let it drift. This week, they're having uh, Craft Beer Week. Um, still probably not on, on, on par with Good Beer Week in Melbourne. But it's one of those things that when you've got a venue like the Story Bridge saying that, you know, gee, we really need to look at what we're putting through our taps, it's a great sign for, uh, for beer drinkers. So we'll see, we'll see what comes over the next uh, six months or so. They're, they're talking about doing it semi-annually, so uh, we'll, we'll see how we go. Yeah, no, it sounds good. And, and look, it's, it's, it's great that, um, you know, the, I guess the conversation is spreading. Uh, and it's good to see that uh, the Brisbane venues are sort of picking up on, well, you know what, let's... We, Let's not let's, let's not die wondering. Let's you know give it a crack and and see what happens. So hopefully the um, you know the tentacles sort of spread and um, we keep the momentum going. Yeah, look, and, and the more venues that are doing stuff like this, the more that other venues will have to consider doing it. Um, and also the harder it is for you know we, we talked about tap contracts. Um, you know the, the harder it is for venues to just sign off a contract on one you know one brewery or you know dominated by one brewery because uh, the, the more people get a taste for it the more they'll expect uh, to see. Yep, and certainly down here, the, the punters are starting to, I guess, seek out better options. Uh, so once that starts happening, I guess, more in Sydney and Brisbane uh, and Adelaide as well, the, the better it'll be for everyone. Exactly. Well, mate, we've been uh, sort of chatting away for a while. I think it's probably time that we introduced our special guest. Um, Somebody who I'm very excited about speaking to. Uh, so without further ado, we might uh, get on and speak to Professor Charlie Bamforth. Let's do that. And today we're joined by Professor Charles Bamforth, um, who has been in the brewing industry for 32 years, including 13 years in research and 11 in academia, and eight with the famed brewing company Bass. Uh, he was named the. He was selected UC Davis's first Anheuser-Busch Endowed Professor of Malting and Brewing Sciences after an international search. He is author the also the author of books and articles about beer and brewing, far too numerous, numerous to mention individually. But there are two we will be discussing today: grain versus grape, looking at the histories of beer and wine and the differences in our perceptions of each. He has also written "Beer is Proof God Loves Us: Reaching for the Soul of Beer and Brewing." Professor Bamforth, welcome to Radio Brews News. Thank you for inviting me. It's nice to be with you. Well, look, first of all, apart from thanking you for two wonderful books about beer, can I ask you about the title of your latest book and that quote from Ben Franklin? Yeah, he didn't actually say it. Um, he, he said something similar, but he was talking about uh, another product, which uh, uh, we all know and love, called wine. So, uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know... It's, why, why ruin a good title for just uh, accuracy's sake? So that's the very first thing I do in the book, point out that Benjamin Franklin was talking about wine. But uh, So I lost a bit of respect for him at that point, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, uh, I'm sure he enjoyed his beer as well. In all of your beer travels, have you discovered where that quote came to be uh, altered um, to, to be about beer? No, I, I have no idea. It was probably... Uh, I, I have no idea. It's probably somebody to do with the craft sector over here or something that thought oh, that's a great, uh, you know, and it, 
it got changed and then just got handed down. I don't, I don't know it. Uh, I when I first came to the United States, I certainly thought it was uh, an authentic quote. In fact, uh, outside my house, I've got a, I've got a, uh, you know, a, uh, a, uh, a plaque which actually says it. But uh, it gets a lot of comment, but uh, he didn't say it. That's a shame because it, it, yeah. I certainly wish it was true. Well, you know, it's a shame when you, when my colleagues here in this building are the Department of Viticulture and Enology, and so they, they enjoy it. But uh, I, I'm here to keep those guys honest anyway. So, uh, you know, this is their way of getting some feedback. And that's a retribution. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about uh, UC Davis. It's one of the leading beer schools in the world, I understand. Yeah, it's, uh, we've been teaching beer here for 50 years. I've been here for 12 of them. And... Um, it all started in the late 50s uh, when uh, the Lucky Lager Brewing Company in San Francisco decided that uh, UC Davis ought to start teaching uh, brewing as well as winemaking. And uh, they made a donation of a, of a brewery, and a little bit of money came in. And uh, then there's a, a famous yeast taxonomist, a guy called Herman Pfaff, who, who uh, taught a class or two about beer. And then there was, for a brief period of time, there's a guy called uh, Nakayama, uh, Tommy Nakayama, who was there for a little while before he went off to Miller Brewing Company. And then in 1964, a guy called Michael Lewis, a Welshman, um, uh, started really the brewing program proper. He retired in the early 90s, and there was a little bit of a, a, a gap. And then, I, as I say, I came in 99. So uh, Michael, Michael's still uh, hale and hearty, and uh, he's teaching or heading up what we call the extension program here. You can come and do shorter courses, and he heads that up, and I do a lot of teaching with him on that, as well as uh, my main role, which is uh, teaching brewing um, here on campus. So uh, if you want to study brewing in Davis, there's, there's two ways of doing it. One is you can come to the campus and, and do a degree, but the other way you can do it is to, is to work with uh, Michael and myself and one or two others on shorter courses um, in the extension program. And can I, can I say that for somebody who has spent so long around academia, um, both of the books that we're talking about today are just uh, beautifully written and very engaging um, and certainly anything but academic. Have you got a background in writing or is it just writing about a okay, subject? Thank you for very... saying that. I, yeah. um, background in writing. Well, uh, if you include uh, football, uh, and I, I realise <laughs> I'm talking to Aussies, so I... Whenever I come to Australia and, I, and they talk about footy, I, you know, I've got to work out which city I'm in and, and realize what type of football we're talking about there. But uh, when I'm talking about football, I'm talking about what they would call soccer over here. And I've been writing about uh, soccer um, for uh, 1985. And so I get, I've actually written a lot more articles about that than I have about beer, amazingly enough, um, because I used to write in programs in in the football league in england particularly wolverhampton wanderers but also one or two other clubs as well and then a lot of magazines as well and uh, so I, I i i guess that any ability i've got it's very kind of you to say but it, any uh, ability to write probably uh, came from the fact that i used to write these kind of irreverent um some people would say irrelevant but irreverent <laughs> articles <laughs> about football and i still do actually write on a on a website uh, a nostalgia website all to do with uh, wolves called wolves heroes so i i enjoy writing and um i also enjoy sort of uh, uh spreading messages in a in a hopefully a clear 
a day-to-day sort of way rather than, you know, I get very irritated uh, when I, I hear scientists talking to one another. I was at a meeting just last week in, in uh, Massachusetts and uh, there were a bunch of scientists sort of, you know, talking to one another and trying to be outsmart one another using all this jargon and so on. It really got up my nose and um, I don't think that's a, a very useful way to, to communicate uh, science. I think it, it needs to be done in a in an interesting reader-friendly way, and, and uh, hopefully that's what I'm doing in these books. And just carrying on there from uh, from what Matt said, and, uh, which I think is quite relevant, is that uh, despite the fact that you are Professor Charles Bamforth, I can't help thinking that perhaps only the Dean would uh, refer you to you in that way, perhaps when you're in trouble. You, you've uh, All your correspondence to us you, has all been signed off Charlie. For the purposes of the yeah. interview, is it okay if we, uh, if we, if we refer to you that way? With, with oh, no I prefer it. Uh, no, no, I, I prefer it. The only person who really calls me Charles is my mother, and uh, <laughs> unless I'm in trouble, and then it's Charles William. Uh, so, uh, uh, no, okay. Charlie's what I Charlie's what I answer to. Just don't call me Chuck, for God's sake. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now, you, the the latest book, the uh, beer is proof. Um, it's very much uh, your personal philosoph- philosophical musings about a life in beer. Um, yeah. it, it might sound odd to listeners who haven't read it um, and for who, you know, books about beer are books about drinking. Um, but it, it, it's very much you looking at beer and what it means and what it can mean. Yes, um, it's it's really in, in two houses. You you realise there's the sort of the book proper and then there's all these end notes that, that seem to drive some people nuts. But so... The best way to read it is to read it in two halves and read the end notes quite separately. But there's a lot of biography and autobiography and, and, and in and around beer, sometimes kind of tangential. Uh, but it really does sort of... Um, I start in the book talking about my first beer drinking experiences and the pubs in England and, and what a pub, to my mind, should mean uh, at the heart of a society. And you know, it, you know, it brings in all issues to do with responsibility and and a good lifestyle and and beer really being a almost a metaphor for 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 tolerance and uh, you know a, a, just a a vehicle when it's treated properly for for uh, goodwill and uh, well balanced uh, society. Um, and, you know, I, I obviously I talk about how people can abuse it, uh, just like abusing anything else, and, and that's regrettable. I also, of course, talk about the, the shape and the nature of the brewing industry, and um, I, I come clean with my views, which are that, you know, that with all the consolidation that's going on, so I, I believe that some companies have, have frankly got far too big, and I think the risk there is that, that some traditional brewing values and some traditional uh, brewing locations uh, are going to suffer and, and fall away, and what does that mean for local societies and so on and so forth? Um, so I, I, I go in various directions. It seems to have irritated one or two people, but thankfully uh, most people get where I'm coming from, which is that, that beer is, is <coughs> treated with respect and treated properly and, and, and handled properly is, is, is really a wonderful thing that, that uh, is proven to to uh, be good for you in moderation, uh, but also um, if it's uh, part of a, a, a larger 
wholesome fabric um, is is really something we should rejoice in and, and not uh, be ashamed of in any way. That was one of the things I found you expressed very nicely, and you, you talk about um, the middle way from the Buddhist doc- doctrine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by the middle way? Well, you know, the, 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 there are all sorts of extremes of opinion, and, and I quickly realized when I came to live in the United States that, you know, that, that people are not, uh, nothing if not extreme in their opinions. Um, by the middle way, I, uh, what I mean is that, you know, on the one hand, you've got the neo-prohibitionists, the, the naysayers, the ones who, who would have it, that beer and alcohol generally are, are nothing more than a, a route to... Uh, you know, down the gutter and, and just a, a dreadful thing, and they can't see any benefit in it. The other extreme, we've got the, the crazy uh, drinking rituals and so on that, that, that can uh, exist over here. You know, here at the university, uh, we have a, an annual celebration called Picnic Day. The students enjoy themselves, some of them rather too well, you know, and, and, and they're in the, in the supermarket where you buy the beer they sell ping pong balls you know so you can play these crazy drinking games and so on and so to my mind the middle way is you know uh, two or three pints in a in a nice uh, convivial surroundings uh, uh, my epitome of that is the old english pub and uh, with good company and and socializing and and beer being a vehicle and an adjunct to a, a really desirable lifestyle and, and so, so to my mind um, the middle way is, is where beer is, is not the focus from the point of view of well let's, let's you know have ridiculous drinking games and, and abusing it and so on but beer is uh, a part uh, alongside other things of, of a wholesome lifestyle. And you mentioned um, looking at the rising tide of neo-prohibitionism but you also talk about your uh, attempts to spread the message of moderation um, and the message that beer can be a welcome part of an adult lifestyle can be very difficult when the brewers themselves are se- often sell the message that beer is something that's juvenile. Yeah, it, it, it really is amazing. And, and um, in both books, I think I address this, which is that somehow wine has, has achieved the moral high ground. And, and if you talk to people, they you know they will say, "Oh well, wine must be more complex. It must be harder to make. It's more sophisticated. It's better for you, and so on." And the reality is, um, quite the opposite. You know, beer is much more complex. Beer is is much harder to make, um, and we don't fall back on excuses. We, you know, we we expect a product to taste like it's supposed to take taste. Um, beer is actually healthier for you uh, in moderation and so on. So um, so. You know, brewers have not done themselves any favors uh, with the way it's portrayed. You know, it is, it is marketed. Let's be frank, at, at, at young men behaving badly sometimes, and and the imagery you get with beer is is, is extreme, and, and and it's very difficult for me to stand up and say, well, actually, beer is more sophisticated and, and more complex and healthier. And people say, how can you be serious about that? We we see how it's portrayed on television. And so it is very, very difficult for, for someone in my position. It's also difficult, someone in my position, you know, uh, the beer guy saying beer is good for you. People will say, well, you know, 
why would you say anything else? We expect you to say that. Um, we can't trust you. You've got uh, the Anheuser-Busch uh, chair of... Um, yeah, yeah, Anheuser-Busch chair. You know, the reality is, I, 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 you know, and that really, uh, I, I, I hear people saying that. I mean, oh, this guy's paid by Anheuser-Busch. Nothing could be further from the truth. And indeed, when I started my, my work on, on beer and health, they basically uh, were, were dead against it. They, they, they felt it was... a. Uh, something that I shouldn't be embracing, not because they didn't believe it, but, but because they uh, could foresee um, some of the, the reaction that would, would come from it. And uh, um, they're quite happy for, you know, for uh, medics and so on uh, to, uh, to, to spread responsible messages. But the reality is that um, too often those messages don't come out. So I, you know, in all, you know, with hand on heart, um, you know, as an independent person, just just pointing out both pluses and the minuses of of drinking beer. Um, but so many people um, just uh, are not prepared to to accept it, um, or or indeed be prepared to understand it. It's it's uh, kind of frustrating sometimes. Well, you, you copped a fair bit of grief over your study that found that beer was one of the highest sources of silicon um, <laughs> in, in, in all foods. And I guess I, I, when that um, broke, uh, I wrote an article about it. But I guess my article was about the way that the media picked it up. And you know, the, the, the media was talking about you know, how it was good for bones and all, all of these things. They weren't actually looking at it just as purely as a study about the levels of silicon, you weren't drawing any conclusions, and I think uh, you had one one quote in um, uh, one of the magazines uh, where you just said, "I oh, would cons- would suggest you first consider flavour, and whether you like the beer or not, um, choose the beer you enjoy for goodness' sake." And I thought that was you know, a, a breath of sanity um, amid this furor. But you, you really did cop a lot of grief for that story, didn't you? Well, I did, you know, and 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 uh, I made that point. If you don't like something, you know, um, if you don't like a beer and, and it's perceived as being better for you, why would you want to drink it anyway? And I and and I don't think anybody else should sort of say, "Oh, I have to have this beer because it's good for me." Uh, if you don't like beer, for goodness' sake, don't drink it. Um, so uh, choose, choose what you, you like to drink and, and get on with it. Just rejoice in the fact that uh, you're enjoying it. And, and actually, it will be doing you some good because the, the, the main active ingredient is alcohol. There is silicon in, in all beers, um, some more than others and so on. Um, but yeah, I got some, some crazy stuff going on there. You know, one guy um, contacted me and he said, uh, so if there's all this silicon in beer, would would that mean that a binge drinker has got strong bones? I said, yeah, well, yeah, until they fall over and break their leg, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I, I think I said it uh, a little bit differently. I said it just means that they won't need a knee replacement while they're having their liver replaced. Yeah, <laughs> precisely. But uh, So I think the, the bottom line message uh, is, you say, I, I hear people say, you know, beer's just bad, uh, uh, empty calories, um, and, you, and the people in the nutrition department here have said it in the past. What I, what I want to do is to, to correct that. It's, that's not true. It's not empty calories. And there is um, plenty of, of, of evidence by, uh, from the medical profession, and I'm not a medic, but you, know, you can look at the literature dispassionately and see there's plenty of evidence that beer in moderation has got benefits. So I, I, just, want the, I, I just want the facts to come out, you know, um, 
that's a very different thing from saying, hey, I urge you, urge you to start drinking. Uh, good for your health. What I'm saying is, you know, um, beer is a wonderful thing, in my opinion. Not everybody wants it, not everybody likes it, not everybody accepts it, you know, for whatever reason, religion or what have you. That's fine. But for those people who do uh, enjoy it and treat it with respect and so on, don't, don't pillory them uh, and don't criticize them for enjoying what is part of a, a good lifestyle and uh, just accept the fact that it's not simply doing them any harm. It may, in moderation, well be doing them some good. So, Charlie, if you've managed to upset those, uh, for want of a better word, on our side, um, yeah. can I ask about those on the other side, they being the wine people? Um, <laughs> I, I particularly like some of the, the quotes from the book, particularly yeah, like one that I've used quite a bit as well, um, and I, I'm not sure who we attribute it to, but I think it's just generally taken that it takes a lot of good beer to make good wine. Um, and I love the little 16th century quote that you um, that you had in there, which is uh, which I think was from Rain and Grape. Wine is but a single broth; ale is meat, drink and cloth. Yeah. So how have you, how, how have you how do you get along with the um, with the wine people? Oh, pretty well. Um, the chairman, uh, past chairman of the Viticulture Technology Department, Guy Galandi Waterhouse, and I, we do a double header, and uh, a great Mrs. Grain double header. He always goes first because he's kind of the straight guy. And then I launch in as well, you know. Um, and um, you know, I'm I I do it in a hopefully a teasing sort of way. And I and I do drink wine, of course I do. I enjoy wine. Um, but underlying all that, there is uh, my firm conviction that that beer is the superior uh, beverage. And um, the wine guys sort of they they smile. They 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 love it. You know, I, I, nothing better than going into Napa Valley and. I'm saying, I'm here again, I'm the beer guy, I've got under the radar, and I've listened to what I have to tell you. And they lap <laughs> it up, you know. They take themselves uh, very seriously. And and, um, and there is a lot that the brewers can learn from the winemakers, and nothing technical at all, in my opinion. Um, but uh, in terms of marketing and presentation and telling stories and the, the language that's used, the vocabulary to describe the products and so on, um, I think brewers can learn quite a bit. Uh, I, I would hate that brewers should go to the uh, the BS extreme that, that that is applied for for wine too frequently. But uh, I think there's more that the, the the brewer can learn from the winemaker in terms of uh, talking about their products, celebrating their products, and uh, and I think one of the things I say in in uh, in the books um, is that you know one of the things that brewers must always remember is uh, to stick together. Um, and too often, brewers have attacked one another. You've got the, some of the small guys attacking the very big companies and, and insulting their products. You've got the big guys over here marketing their beer, abusing one another. And who's the winner in any of that? It's, it's certainly not beer. So I, I, I really do get most um, uh, frustrated and irritated, particularly when I hear... Uh, some of the guys in the craft sector are really having a go at uh, at the big guys, because if the big guys uh, hadn't uh, succeeded, then they wouldn't be the small guys wouldn't be in business now. So uh, let's just just celebrate it. And there's, there's a beer for every occasion, and and if if uh, if the, uh, the the small guys are, are attacking the big guys uh, and saying to people, oh, you shouldn't be drinking their products, and so well. You're going to alienate millions and millions of, of people who actually do enjoy um, 
gently flavored uh, beers. So so let's let's celebrate it. And, and you never see a wine, you never see the wine lobby attacking one another. You never see uh, people in the wine business, who are certainly over here, um, criticizing one another. They all pull in a common direction. So that that is something we can learn. But now the wine guys, um, and certainly the Department of Viticulture and Algae here, they uh, they uh, they know exactly where I'm coming from, and. Uh, and in their heart of hearts, I think they know that that, that beer is 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 much more complicated, uh, and, and so it is. You know, I, I teasingly say to the wine guys, you know what you got to do? You get you get a few grapes and tread them, and and wait. And what do you do while you're waiting? You you drink beer. That I, I do love that uh, that quote that uh, there's nothing easier to make than wine. Uh, all you need to do is tread grapes. If you tread yeah. grain, all you get is sore feet. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've, I've stolen that. Peter, Pete and I, in addition to putting together Brews News, we both uh, do beer tastings and education. And uh, it, it, it's interesting. We both uh, work very hard to try and elevate um, people's perceptions of beer as a, from something that's just uh, purely a liquid wallpaper. Right. But I think we're, we're both unified in thinking that it would be a tragedy if beer ever had introduced to it the same sort of fear that wine has where people are often too scared to order the wine that they want to drink because they've yeah. been told that there is a right wine um, or there is a wine they should be drinking. Um, sure, sure. Pete and, I uh, both take, sorry, Pete and I both take the view that you know, any beer that you get pleasure from drinking is a good beer. Um, you know, Absolutely. I, you know, people say to me, well, what's your favorite beer? I say, well, you know, it's easy to say which is my least favorite, but if we are going to talk about my favorites, then it's going to depend. It depends where I am, what I'm doing, um, what the temperature is, who I'm with, what I'm eating, what I'm not eating, you know. The, the, so it, to just generalize, and uh, you know, it, it is ridiculous. And, you know, the height of summer here in Davis, it, it, it kind of bakes, you know. And uh, uh, one of the lighter... Um, more effervescent, easier to drink um, um, uh, products, nice and cold, is, is is very very welcome. But you know, if I go home to the north of England, and despite the fact that it's 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 God's own country near Wigan, um, uh, I can't drink North American lager in Wigan. You know, I I don't want to drink it there. Um, so it, it is horses for courses, and and all of these beers are the right place for everything. But talking about some of the the perceptions that brewers have created, um, I mean they've largely been created by the largest brewers who have uh, sort of pandered a little bit to people's perceptions of beer. Um, you know, is that something that needs to change at a time when beer over beer consumption overall is declining? Um, that they should be trying to elevate a little bit about what beer is, or will they then lose a lot of the people that are drinking some of those lighter flavored lagers? Yeah, it's it's. I'm not a marketing guy, so I mean, I'm sure there'll be people in the marketing uh, side of the brewing business that would say, "Charlie, just stick to bubbles and and clarity and flavour, and let us worry about things like that." And I'm sure there's always going to be a concern about alienating the the people who drink uh, the most beer, you know, Joe Sixpack and, and so on. Um, but I think there certainly is a role for for. Um, educating um and 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 without sort of saying this is what you should drink this is you know if you're you know if you know what you're talking about you must be drinking this not doing that but actually 
teaching people about you know what is beer, what is it made from, how is it made, how do you get different styles of beer, what are the different styles of beer, and it is happening in 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 different parts of, of the world. It sounds like you're doing some of that down under, and of course in the UK they have a, a, a very active program going on, um, the Beer Academy, where they are um, uh, educating people about uh, different styles of beer and and without inherently criticizing any given style of product at all, but just uh, telling people about presentation, how to pour a beer, the cleanliness of the glass, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and, and there's a long way to go. You know, uh, uh, over here, I, I so often go into to a, a restaurant and I'll ask for a beer. And first of all, they say, do you want a glass? Yes, please, I'm civilized. Just give me a glass, you know. And then the glass will come. It's got the wrong brand on it, you know, yeah. so, you know, the extreme, it could be a bird in a Guinness glass or vice versa, you know, it's a fairly basic thing to get right, but it's usual that people get it wrong, and and I think if people know how to present beer, how to have good, clean glassware, and how to look after the beer, and how to make sure beer on tap is in good condition and so on, then those are the things, I think, that, that, that could really... Uh, uh, help to to uh, stop this decline in, in in the beer market and 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 simply to 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 raise beer's image uh, in the eye of the uh, consumer. In talking about your uh, middle way, you're not a uh, huge fan of the so-called extreme beers either. In your book, uh, you, you take a bit of a swipe at beers like Tactical Nuclear Penguin. Uh, yeah, it's even worse than that now. It's got the end of history. And, uh, you know, beers are stuffed inside uh, dead animals. I mean, wh- where's the sense in that? You know, I, 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 I really uh, despair. Um, one thing I think that, that uh, the brewer can learn from the winemaker is to remember that you can make an awful lot out of um, relatively little. So the, the wine guys... Uh, they, they, all this terroir business and varietals and, and so on. Brewers, of course, can do all of those things with, with hot varieties and, and, and uh, growth locations and, and with the basic ingredients without going to extremes, you know. Um, having said which, I mean, there are some very interesting beers um, uh, out there now. You know, there's here in, in California, we have the Russian River Brewing Company with uh, with uh, Vinnie Silerzo and his, his, what he calls them, his funky beers, you know, with Bretonomyces and so on and so forth. And, you know, traditionalists, and I guess to an extent I'm one of those, um, at first they they throw their hands up and say, you know, most right-minded people would, would, would not have Bretonomyces within a million miles of, of the brewery. But I have to say, I, I went to see Vinny, and, and he does it very well, and he keeps his funky beers and his regular beers quite apart, and, and they're interesting, you know, and I, I guess they're resurrecting a flavor there that would have been around at the time of the British Raj and so on, with, with, with Bretonomyces and so on. So it all adds for interest, but, you know, to my mind, uh, uh, beers that are the strength of, of whiskey, uh, to my mind, have no place in, in the middle way. Do you, do you drink whiskey out of interest? I do. And so, I, so course, whiskey, I, I dilute it with water, you know, which is <laughs> the, the, the standard way in which you would you'd bring out the flavor in a, in a scotch um, is, is to add some water to it, some clean water, of course, flavorless water, but uh, because by lowering the alcohol content, you're actually allowing things to uh, bring, come out into the headspace 
and so you can smell them uh, and, and admire them, that you, you don't get uh, the higher alcohol content. All you get there is a burning sensation. So, yeah, I, I, I you know, drink probably more whiskey than, than my wife would like me to drink. It's in moderation, of course. <laughs> now, looking at the big breweries, I guess something that I really grapple with myself is um, can you take the... and this is really much looking at uh, someone who's got a background in brewing science. Can you take the technical capacities of brewing and you know, lo- looking at high gravity and enzyme additions and all that, I- is there a point that beer can become too processed and it does get away from its agrarian roots or its agricultural roots um, too far? Um, I, I think not, not with high gravity brewing and so on. Uh, and... and um if you take high gravity brewing, then you can go too high, and then you'll change the product, and you'll get elevated levels of esters and so on and so forth. But as long as you go um, to um, sensible higher gravities, then uh, the, the research has been done. It's been done by my friend Graham Stewart and others to show that you can you can make beers that are virtually indistinguishable. Um, uh, when compared to the the regular sales strength, they, they tend to have slightly less good foam, but that's about it. Flavor-wise, they're indistinguishable. We, enzymes. We, we might enzymes. just uh, I might just in, in, interrupt there and just get you to quickly explain because not all of our um, our listeners are, have degrees in brewing. So perhaps <laughs> just explain what high gravity brewing is. Yeah, high gravity brewing. If uh, regular traditional brewing is is called sales strength brewing and you you uh, you take your malt you grind it up you extract it in hot water and you produce a certain strength of uh, sugar solution and then you ferment it and you produce and you produce a certain <laughs> alcohol content um and uh, with high gravity brewing what you do is actually make a um a wort uh, the, sh- the extract at the higher concentration so there's more sugars and so when you ferment it uh, you produce more alcohol but then the last thing you do is uh, bring the alcohol content down to the target alcohol content using uh, clean water. So what that means is you're in, in the fermenter, you're actually producing more beer. Uh, and so you can maximize the, the utilization of your, your fermenter. You can get more beer in every individual fermentation. Uh, it's not an exercise in, in uh weaker beer or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's, it, the, the water added at the end is, is simply water that for a regular strength brewing it out at the start so um all the research has been done it's uh, you know you can make beers flavor wise identical uh, enzymes you know the, those are used by some brewers not all by any means and certainly here in the united states um, most brewers not at all prepared to use any added enzymes but they really just supplementing the ones that uh, uh, are in the malt and, and boost on the level that's in the malt. So it improves the efficiency of the process w- without changing the inherent character of the product. So I think uh, you know, brewing is, is a fairly traditional process. Some people get hung up about use of things like corn and rice. But, you know, that's starch. You know, barley's, the main component of barley is starch. The main component of rice is starch. The main component of corn is starch. You know, it's, it, by saying, well, barley's good, rice and corn are not good, that's kind of a kind of a bizarre thing to, to say if you look at it like that. So Walter Raleigh, who um, uh, had a colony in uh, North America um, back in the day, of course, he would be brewing from corn. So if you're really a traditionalist, you should be brewing for corn. So there's all sorts of emotions and passions go on. 
Um, so I think in the current brewing paradigms, the tradition, uh, the, although the, there have been tweakings with things like high gravity brewing and and enzymes and ex- hop extracts <laughs> and so on, um, they um, they're, they're tweakings. You know, they're, they're not fundamentally changing the the nature of beer. I think what I do talk about in the book is, is you know the real extreme would be if one day uh, you could simply take a, a cheap bland source of alcohol you know the equivalent of a vodka or something and add all these different things to it and make a beer and I have to tell you we've done it and we've published it and it was bloody awful um, <laughs> but uh, but no brewer no brewer is doing that and I, I, I really it'll be a long while before anybody would do it that way even though if you look at it from the cold engineering logic uh, that will be the the way to go so, so the short answer to your question is uh, uh, you know brewers over the years have, have tweaked this and tweaked that but if you um, if you took a brewer from medieval Europe and plonked them down in a brewery in uh, in uh, Australia now, they'd recognize the individual process stages. Do you think they would also uh, thank you for uh, all of the innovations that have made their life much easier? I'm sure they would, and, and I'm sure I mean, <laughs> the fundamental difference is this, that uh, they um, would have had far less control and therefore far greater inconsistency. Uh, so what we have now, and this is the great uh, triumph in the brewing industry, is uh, the ability to um, produce uh, your beer with the right flavor and the right quality consistently, day after day after day. And that is what brewing has achieved, uh, whereas um, certain other types of alcoholic beverage, less so. You know, And yet th- those other types of alcoholic beverage, um, make, uh, i.e. wine, um, they celebrate the the variation, but it, you know I can't think of very many products that, that you would want to buy, and do buy that uh, you're not totally sure what they're going to be like. You know, you, you know if you go to fill in your car at the the gas station, the petrol station, and, and the, uh, the petrol's no good, uh, you're not very happy about that, are you? So you know the the only thing I can think of where you got this inherent inconsistency and surprise factor is, is wine, and they've made it into an art form, and you you got to take your hat after them. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie, we've covered off your um, your views on the, the the higher end or the extreme or the higher alcohol products. You also make some interesting comments on uh, on the low alcohol or reduced alcohol uh, products. And, and something in here that I found that I, I thought our listeners may need um, a, a little bit of a description or a bit of a, an explanation of. Um, if you don't want alcohol, don't take a beer. If you're cutting out caffeine, drink water. If you're avoiding beef, then have a nut cutlet. Now, is that, a, is that an American thing or is that an, a, an English thing? I'm not familiar with a nut cutlet. Oh, it I sounds see. like something uh, you might accidentally um, sustain on a football field injury. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I've never eaten a nut cutlet. But that, that, when I was uh, a young man in England, and, and people used to have um, uh, food for vegetarian food and so on, that, that, uh, they would have something made out of nuts that was vaguely in the shape of a of a piece of meat, and it was. Uh, uh, used to call them nut cutlets but uh, 
Right. So, so it's probably the, the modern day equivalent would be tofu or a tofu burger. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would. Yeah, or, or what they yeah. used to call this. There was a, a thing that was made out of corn. It was called. It was made out of a fungus, and uh, this fungus you could be you used to be able to spin it into fibers. So it was a bit like meat, and so on. So uh, no, don't get me. You know, nobody should get me wrong. I'm I'm not saying that. Um, uh, you know, vegetarianism is a bad thing by any means. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, what I've never understood is why you should need to have something that is manufactured to, to look and behave like meat. Um, if you don't want meat, don't have meat. Have something else. You know, have some potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so on. So, you know, if you, if you don't want beer and you can't have beer, why have a Me Too thing that just happens to lack one of the key components, which is, is alcohol. Yeah, and Matt and I are both certainly noticing over, over here that there's a growing trend towards or, or away from uh, low alcohol beer where people will yeah. say, you know what, instead of having, you know, five or six light beers, I'm just going to have two or three of something that I'm going to really enjoy or I'm going to organise yeah. a, a lift home. Is that yeah. a similar sort of thing happening th that you can see? Um, Yes, I, I think I think it certainly is uh, that that is the case. I think people are possibly realizing that that these alcohol-free or low-alcohol products do not deliver. And what is the point in just uh, being seen by your your your, your drinking partners? And they said, you know, because they, you know, if they find out you're drinking alcohol-free beer, what's the point? Um, so if it's a peer pressure thing, you know, I think people have probably got a bit more mature than that these days. Um, and uh, you know, and we should probably point out too that what we refer to as light is different to what Americans refer to as as light. Which yeah, is the word the, light the over carb. here means yeah, yeah, yeah. I just realised light over here means low carbs, uh, low 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 calorie, and uh, it's by far and away the biggest selling style of beer in the United States. Uh, I think uh, uh, the three top selling beers in in the U.S. are, are light beers. Um, so. Um, you know, and back in uh, my home, native uh, England, uh, the word light means something completely different. It means low alcohol. What are mm. your thoughts about low-carb beers, Charlie? Um, well, um, they must be doing something right because uh, they're selling lots of them. I, I personally don't uh, don't buy them. Um, uh, they, they are, you know, typically pretty uh, gently flavoured and... Uh, to my mind, uh, I'm going to make some enemies now, but to my mind, they, they don't have perhaps uh, quite the balance that, that you get in a, in, in, uh, a regular um, non-light beer, um, uh, quite the flavor balance uh, that I will be looking for. But, uh, you know, uh, lots of people do drink them uh, over here, and, uh, and it's a growing uh, area, and uh, uh, so be it. Well, I, I think I'm, that I, I, I'm not terribly concerned about making enemies, um, Charlie. So I mean, I, my my big fear about them is that they they don't follow the middle way, and they are designed because of the branding of low carb that they give people a good feeling about not changing their drinking behaviour. You know, they over here they're marketed as having, for example, a third of the carbs when right. they've still got ninety percent of the calories, and I think. Just because the market isn't um, particularly astute, they they think well. If if there are a third of the carbs, I can have two thirds as many, um, right. and you know, 
rather than drinking less and drinking better or drinking for flavor and not for effect, people are drinking yeah. beers that don't have terribly good flavor when the, the first mouthful of their second beer, they may as well have had something that they really enjoyed the flavor of. Right. Um, yeah, interesting point. <laughs> I'm, I'm minding my P's and Q's. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Pete, sorry, you, you were about to start saying something? Well, I was just going to say that I, I think once people uh, listen to this and we start selling heaps and heaps of Charlie's books for him, that people will begin to realise, once they read, particularly Charlie's thoughts on, on the... Uh, well, part of it is is deconstructing the myths around uh, the the unhealthiness of beer, and and the other half is promoting the uh, if you like the, in moderation the the benefits of drinking beer. Uh, I think that will will cease the uh, the rise of low carb beers in this country certainly. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I see a lot of people enjoying those products and and and. Probably, I think they're doing it from uh, as part of. Uh, there's a lot of fit-looking people over here in California, you know, uh, trotting along. <laughs> and uh, you know, if they if they have a a, a couple of light beers um, because they enjoy the for the refreshment factor and so on, and they feel that it's it's not piling on the calories. You know, you know, the calorie difference in the regular beer is not that great. If it makes them feel good, then uh, then so be it. I saw in the news today that there was a beer launched in England that was designed not to be bloating. Um, that's one of the, 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 I consider a bit of a furphy um, that a lot of women say that they find beer very bloating. Um, yeah. you, you, you talk about that in, in, in your books as well? Yeah, the, um, it's interesting. I was on a, on a TV program not long ago and it was a, a husband and wife team and she hadn't arrived yet. So uh, before we uh, went on air, we were we were talking he and I, and and uh, I uh, I said, "Do your wife drink beer?" He said, "No, no." I said, "It uh, gives her that, you know, that uh, that." Uh, I said, "What gas?" He said, "No, no, no." He said, "That's the sausages that do that." He said. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Oh, can we talk about that on TV?" So I think we better leave that alone, don't you? Um, so, but it, you know, a lot of, uh, of of women in particular uh, say that you know they. They really don't like uh, to, to to feel the, the, the distended with with all the you know the the, the high CO two and so on. I, uh, it, it's an interesting area. I think um, a lot of, of women get uh, pretty alienated if you if you say, well, here's here's a beer I've designed it just for you, uh, little lady, you know, and you know smaller volumes or or what have you, and and. Uh, I see a lot of, uh, of of women over here don't like that uh, to to think that somebody is uh, trying to uh, decide what they are do not do not like. I, and I a lot of, of of women friends who you know they they sing pints and they enjoy it. You know? So so um, you know it's it's an interesting area and I think a kind of a delicate area uh, to go into to uh, to start uh, uh, designing beers uh, on a gender basis. Um, there was a, there was a famous beer over here a number of years ago that came out that was that was produced so as to have no colour whatsoever. And I think they thought that that would appeal to women. Uh, so when women poured it out, when men poured it out, they got this glass full of, of water white liquid with a sort of scum on the top. And <laughs> I think it lasted about a week, two weeks before they pulled it from trade and realized that was a you know a triumph of technological ability over 
marketing common sense. Uh, so um, it, it's, uh, but you know, they keep pushing and, and trying to find new angles and new ideas, and, and sometimes they work. What do they say? A camel is a horse designed by committee. That sounds yeah. a little bit the same. Yeah, I think I think that's right. You know, but sometimes it works. You know, a, a classic one, of course, was a number of years ago when in Japan, uh, Kirin uh, was by far and away the number one. Asahi Wanoa. Uh, but they t- sat around a table at Asahi and said, uh, we, need, we need a new beer. And they came up with a wonderful package and new concept and so on, a pretty simple concept. And they came up with Asahi Super Dry. And uh, within a, a very few years, that was one of the top 10 beers in the world. And, and Asahi, for a while, had overtaken Kirin as, as a bigger company in Japan. So that was designed by a committee around the table. And uh, so it can work. And how, how did they, what was special about that in technically? Frankly, I don't think there was anything particularly uh, <laughs> uh, special That's about not going to get you into trouble? No, well, uh, <laughs> as long as it's not simultaneously translated into the Japanese world. It, uh, it, it, uh, you know, it was, it was well fermented out, so there was, there was, there was basically no, uh, no residual sugar whatsoever. It was, it, was, it was dry. It was a beautiful package as well, and a, and a concept, super dry, you know, and, uh, and uh, it, it, uh, it's, developed, it's still on the shelves. So uh, apart from whiskey strength beers stuffed in dead animals, where do you see uh, beer is headed in the future? Um, well, who knows, uh, you know, because I would never have predicted that, you know. Um, I I think that that there will continue to be people nibbling away and looking for extremes, new sorts of um, uh, angles on on ingredients and so on. Um, And and that always, frankly, amazes me. You know, on the one hand, some of these uh, in the craft sector, they're they're very traditionalist and they, they attack the big guys and say, oh, you know, you shouldn't drink that stuff it's got rice and corn in it and then they'll they'll put all sorts of stuff into there you know <laughs> you know make it from all sorts of things and so on so who knows who knows i i one thing i do say is that and i was talking earlier on about this thing we made out of vodka you know blind alcohol sauce and and and, and a mix together of beer i say i don't see it happening in the near future but in the longer term who knows and, and so I, I think that what we're will be heading towards in the in the, and, and how long i don't know 20 30 40 50 years will be two extremes there'll be the the fast beer movement and and the slow beer movement with the slow guys uh, making it in uh, traditional ways you know and uh, i know which i'll be drinking pete is there anything else because otherwise that sounds like a very good uh place to, to to leave it we've kept a charlie on late at night for quite a long time it, it does go now look i'm going to go and have a beer with uh with uh, the professor of brewing from ballarat um, peter we, we'd better let you go for that um, charlie bamforth <laughs> uh, say good day to him for us and we, we really appreciate your time uh thank you for joining us on radio brews news my pleasure good luck yeah. Thanks very much, Charlie. And I, I should probably just finish with, um, I think, one of my favourite quotes of yours. Um, Beer speaks for itself. Wine needs others to speak for it. Much of it pretentious yeah. claptrap. And, and <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, while, while beer's got people like your good self uh, speaking for it, I think, uh, I think its future is in good hands. All right. Thanks very much. I appreciate the kind words. <laughs> good Cheers. on you, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. Thank, thank you very much. In, enjoy your dinner. Okay. Bye-bye. And that was Professor Charles Banforth, or... Charlie, as he let us uh, refer to it. Pete, 
he, you know, when I first picked up his uh, book, Beer and Wine, uh, or Grain versus, Grain versus Grape, I knew that he was the, uh, what is it, the Anheuser-Busch um, professor. Mm-hmm. Or endowed, he had the Anheuser-Busch endowed seat, and I thought, you know, he was a guy, and I made a note at the time, he mounts a spirited defense of the consistency as quality approach of the bigger brewers. Um, and for a long time, I sort of was thinking that, you know, he, he, he was uh, status quo. But you, you listen to him, he's a man that is genuinely passionate about beer, and he really manages to bring a deeply philosophical side without putting on the cravat and turning beer into a, uh, how should we say, a... Um, a wank fest. Yeah, yeah. Dare, dare we say he he drinks it responsibly but doesn't take it too seriously. <laughs> yes. Now, where have I heard that before? <laughs> now, I was speaking to uh, at a at a, uh, a product launch uh, last week down here in Melbourne. I was speaking to Scott Vincent, head brewer at Matilda Bay, and mentioned that we were going to be speaking to Charlie, and he said, "Oh, uh, the you know the international brewers and distillers." Um, Southeast Asian conference, he said, it was you know open surface paradise a couple of years ago, and I was talking to Charlie. He said, oh, you know, what do you want us to speak about? And he said, oh, I don't know. Can you give us talk about I don't know, um, you know, uh, protein levels in beer? He said, yeah, no worries. And he said, and 15 minutes later, bang, he spoke for 40 minutes on on the topic. With you know, just the guy, <laughs> it, it, what he what he doesn't know about beer, I, I think hasn't been invented yet. But for for a guy that is, you know published a lot of academic papers and has been involved in research and academics for such a long time. Both of his books are crackingly good reads. They're, they're not, dare I say, dry and boring. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they, they really are poetry. Um, yeah, not, not poetry. I, 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 yeah, I was going to describe them as being novels. You know, they're almost yeah, they're just yeah. a cracking good read that happens to be about beer, and he'll just you know subtly slide in a couple of uh, you know scientific references or uh, you know that that sort of you know the, the tech talk without you even realising it. Exactly. So look, I, um, listeners, if you are looking for a little bit of beer reading, and I can tell you that I that if you don't have time to read, and I often find it a hard time to read, I've got um, uh, beer is proof. Um, on audiobook um, through audible.com um, that was cracking you can get it on Kindle um, yeah I've got it on Kindle I, th- I think that the only place that you can get grain versus grape is in the old uh, dead tree version um, but certainly what both of them are certainly well worth a read and I highly recommend them uh, and we'll put links to them in the show notes I can let you know Matt that um, grain versus grape is available on ebook I went looking for it. There you go. I will uh, download that right now. So, anyway, Pete, uh, we've been going for quite a while now, so it's probably time that we uh, sailed out of here. You got anything coming up this week that uh, you'd like to tell people uh, about? We've got well, we've got the women. women yeah, heading, beers, so yeah, heading on is listening to this tomorrow. Yep, that's uh, that, that's going to be a huge one. All the um, uh, all the. Yeah, just there'll be heaps of people there. It'll be terrific. Down at uh, True South, at Black Rock, down here in Melbourne. Excellent. So, well, I can hear the, uh, the those leader hosen clad gentlemen starting to uh, unpack the instruments. So, Pete, as ever, great talking to you. Uh, thank you very much for getting uh, Charlie online for us. And listeners, we have plenty coming. That's it. 
when I get around yeah. when, when I get around to getting yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> getting it online, I should. Yeah. Getting it online. Where on your man? That's all right. This one will still have a little clean box next to you know on, on iTunes. <laughs> We're not going explicit just yet. <laughs> Take care, man. Good on you, Prof. Talk to you. Talk to you next week. No worries, mate. Cheers.